As we come to the 1st of December, of course, we need to have a Christmas message, right? And I can think of no better message to proclaim than the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But as we get to that in just a moment, I wanted to show you an ad that read or was actually published in the New York Daily Times. And the headline was, God isn't fixing this. And you might not can see it from where you're sitting, but they have some quotes from four different, what you know it, Republican candidates, that all of them are saying that their prayers are with the victims of San Bernardino, California. And so it is a great jab not only at the politicians, but also at God in general. God isn't fixing this. Syed Farouk and to Shafim Malik, who staged a brutal and sophisticated assault on an office party in Southern California. They slaughtered 14 people and injured many and died in a shootout with the cops only a few blocks from that scene. And so, of course, during times of trial, our nations have have rallied together around prayer and God. But now you can see in our nation, there is a disdain and an out and out rebellion and lack of respect for God. By them saying, God isn't fixing this. I'm not going to say that people haven't thought that. Of course they have. But to publish it and to promote that, that's not just one writer giving his opinion. That opinion is represented among many of our people in this world today. And they say as they look at the news, it seems like that we are glued to our television, our phones, our media devices. Every day we follow the death instruction of tragedies that hit our world, whether they be shootings, bombings, murders, war, terrorism, and the list goes on and on. Many, including yourself, may be asking this question. Maybe not God isn't fixing this, but you might have asked, where is God in all of this? You see, there's a problem with the phrase, God isn't fixing this, because it has ramifications. It's not just someone spouting off that they're mad that God is not stopping these things. Number one, what does that say? If, if there is a, a panel, a group, a, a culture of people that believe that God isn't fixing this, that is another way of saying God is not God. That is another way of saying God is not sovereign. That is another way of saying there is no God. And when someone reads this, the implications are, number one, God doesn't care. Maybe number, number two, God just isn't willing to act. Number three, which is the saddest of them, by taking this title, we see the ramifications of people saying, prayer is useless. And of course, it shows that but I don't know why they decided to pick all Republican tweets and put on there 
but they're trying to say that the Republicans are outdated and that they're insincere in their prayers for the people. I wonder if they would have taken Democratic tweets and put with that story. I wonder if they would have put independent tweets. I wonder if they would have taken their own tweets, their own comments, their own condolences. So don't get me wrong. I'm not getting ready to go on a Republican-Democratic tirade. My issue is, is that there we are a nation that says God is not God. And God is not fixing this. And so it seems like we come to this point, where is God in all of this when tragedy strikes? Yes, when we see it on the news and we see things that are happening in places that shouldn't be having these altercations, shouldn't be having these shootings. Like if you were to go home today and hear that there was another shooting somewhere, you would have been shocked and, and troubled, but not surprised. And wondering, where is God in this? Here's the thing. Our world, they want to ignore the Bible and its authority upon our lives. In other words, we want to be able to sin how we want to sin and not have anybody tell us that we're wrong. But at the same time, we also want His protection. You can't have one without the other. And the thing is, is that when it doesn't matter whether you are a Christian, a Muslim, or, or atheist, or whatever, no one can look at what happens in San Bernardino, or any other place, or Paris, or anywhere else, and not say, well, that's right, that's okay. Everybody has a sense of wrong. It was wired into our soul. It was wired into our DNA. And the only way to truly resolve that we have a sense of right and wrong is to believe that God created a moral code within us. Now, we can ignore it. We can explain it away. And we can worship other gods. But the fact that people can say that what is going on is wrong is proof that there is a God and a moral absolute of right and wrong. We can explain it away. We can have doctors. We can have psychiatrists. We can have politicians. We can have lobbyists. We can have all of these people tell us, oh, well, you know, you're, there's no God. You're overthinking this. It's just something that you've made up. Where does that sense of right and wrong come from? Where does that desire to sin come from? Where is that desire to need rescuing come from? When tragedy strikes, the only way to reconcile it and bring meaning to it is by looking at it with a Christian worldview. Whether it be something in California or something even here within our own county. Folks, God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is present everywhere. And every second of life that touches our life comes through the hands of God. Every second, every moment, nothing touches us that God doesn't allow, and nothing blesses us that God doesn't give. There is one God, and you are not Him. I am not Him. Each moment in life has a specific time, a specific reason, and a specific purpose. Even Shootings. Even shootings of precious 
children at an elementary school. Why, God? Why did you allow that? Well, the first thing that we need to realize is that we live in a fallen, self-absorbed, broken world due to sin. We live in a fallen, self-absorbed, broken world due to sin. And there are the passages there, Romans 5.12 and John 16.33. If you'd like to to read that with me. Romans 5.12 says this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all men because all sinned. We live in a broken world because we are sinners. If we were in a 12-step group, our first thing would be, Hi, my name is James and I am a sinner. We have to accept that. We will never get better in our lives. We will never see God clearly until we admit that we need God. And right now, our world, our country says, God, we don't need you. You were important in the 50s, in the 60s, but 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000, you're just an institution. You're just a crutch for people to lean on. Why aren't you, God, if you loved us, you'd be fixing these things. John 16, 33 says, just Jesus is speaking. He says, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And then here he says, you will have suffering in this world. It's not, it's not a warning necessarily. It's a promise. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Folks, the reason we have tragedy and the reason we need to be rescued is because the world is comprised of fallen, broken people. And I know the English is not right, but I is one of them. And so are you. You and I live in a world that it was created by God, yet the world wants nothing to do with God. And I think even the, the greater question is, well, God, why did you place sin in the world in the first place? Back in Genesis, why couldn't we have just been born and eaten and, and just not had to go through all this mess? God wanted people, children that loved him. He wanted children that said, I know that I need you. He didn't want to program robots that just did what they were told. He wanted someone to love him for who he is. Our world wants protection and love, but none of the responsibility. Much like a teenager that that yells at their parents because they're not getting their way. And they say that they hate their parents, all the while sleeping under their roof, in their bed, eating their food, and enjoying their shelter. Folks, our world is spoiled. We have lived under God's protection so long that we have taken it for granted. And now, as there are cracks, as God is allowing things to happen, we're saying, where is God? And he's saying, I've been here all along. You are the one that chose to run out from under 
my protection. I don't know about you, but I'm very grateful that we have this canopy on the back of our church. Because when it rains, you can drive up and you can get somebody in and they're not going to get wet. But I guarantee you, if you go out from under that canopy and it's raining, you will get wet. When you come out from under God's protection and you say, my way and my sin is better than what God has provided, you've got to deal with those consequences. You're going to get wet. The point here is that God loves you today, and his love for you is relentless. Whether it is in tragedy or peace or poverty or prosperity, either way, he is there for you today to fix you, to heal you. And to rescue you. The second thing we see is that God is in control. Romans 1, 18 through 21. God is sovereign. Amen? Meaning that if you don't know what sovereign means, God is God. God is in control. God is everything. But I want you to know something. God allows everything to happen or not happen. But the source of tragedy, the cause of tragedy, is not God. God is not the source of tragedy. He allows it to happen. He directs it. But he is not the source of it. What does that mean? Well, look at Romans 1, 18-21. Everybody turn there for just a moment. Because I want to make sure that, that you understand that I'm not saying here that God is not in control. God is in control. But this is how Paul says it in Romans 1, starting at verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. There's ever been people trying to suppress the truth of God is today's society. <clears throat> Verse 19. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them, for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have clearly been seen since the creation of the world. Just a side note, what that's talking about there is God's general revelation to us. For example, whenever I'm lucky enough to go to the beach and I see the waves and I see everything that God created, I look at that and I say, there is no way someone can tell me that there is not a God. When I look at the sand between my toes, I know that he knows the number of every grain of sand and every hair on my head. God is God. And he shows himself. And say, what about those people that live in the far reaches of the world that don't know God, they have some type of worship because God has put it within us to always worship something and they can see him through his general revelation, through creation. So as a result, people are without excuse. People are without excuse. Verse 21 says, For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show their gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. 
The reason we have tragedy and trouble in this world is because people have lost all sense of biblical authority, all sense of morality. Even in many churches, the, the, the inerrancy of the Bible has been sacrificed for political correctness. Why is this world in the shape we are in? Because we are denying God and we are living towards our evil desires. And even though we know better, God is allowing our minds to become darker. You say, well, preacher, I'm a good Christian. This is not me. We're talking about the other people. Okay, I'll give you that. But do you have a say and a stake in it? Absolutely. By you living out the Lord's call in your life. By you sharing your faith with others. By you living out your life with others. You can combat this darkness. Until we do that. Until the church starts being the church. And I don't mean this building. I mean the people. I mean the people that that are worshiping all across the world today, when the church becomes the church, then we will see this turn around. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, the good old days of the 50s and 60s, where you, you know everything happened at the church, all your social calendars, all your friends, I mean, the streets rolled up on Sundays and Wednesdays because you were at church because you loved God and everybody was wholesome and pure. They weren't. But it was a different day. That day waved by to us a long time ago. We live in a world that is hostile towards God. God is capable of stopping tragedy, but he's not always willing to do it. Say, for example, someone is killed by a drunk driver. The drunk driver walks away from the accident But the victim was an organ donor, and their organ saves a child's life. Where is the tragedy, and where is the blessing in that? Well, if you're the one that lost a family member due to the negligence of someone that chose to drink and drive, then, of course, the tragedy is on you. But if you are that parent that their child is waiting for an organ, and they get a call in the middle of the night that it's time and their child is saved, there's a blessing. Where am I, what am I trying to get at here? To see what happens in this world, there is no doubt that this is a tragedy. But it's a tragedy from our point of view, not God's point of view. The accident was just that, an accident, but the outcome depends upon which lens You look at it through. How a family is affected determines their definition of a blessing or tragedy. For example, we can even look in the Bible and see the difference between a blessing and a tragedy. If you think about Jesus and Lazarus in John 11, 21, if you remember, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had just been there, my brother wouldn't have died. That sounds like it came right out of that newspaper article. Jesus, you weren't there to fix it. Even worse, Jesus, we were like family. This wasn't just some stranger you were going to preach to. You let my brother die. Your friend, you let him die. 
That was a tragedy in Martha's mind, wasn't it? Martha was hurt. She was upset that Jesus didn't save her brother. However, Jairus, who had lost his teenage daughter, Jairus was blessed because his daughter that was dead had been made alive because Jesus decided to take a detour on his trek to help Lazarus. He decided to take a detour and help Jairus. And while he was doing that, he also helped a woman that had a bleeding problem for 12 years, who was unclean and had been separated from her family for 12 years. So to Martha, it was a tragedy. To Jairus, it was a blessing. To the bleeding woman, it was a blessing. And ultimately, to Martha, it was a blessing. When he said, why are you confining me to, to your understanding of life and death? Lazarus, come forth. Tragedy turned into a blessing, didn't it? Because of his touch, his timing, and his way. I don't know why church members were gunned down in Charleston. I don't know why these attacks are happening. No, I, I take that back. I do know why. Because we live in a fallen and sinful world. I do not like it. And why does God allow it? I don't know. But one day we will. One day we will. As I said just a moment ago, you never know. That dollar you threw in the offering plate might be the very dollar that funds a missionary to go reach a child for Jesus Christ that would have been taken into a Muslim camp, into an ISIS camp. And he was given a Bible instead of a gun. You never know. You never know. The point when I talk about tragedy and blessings and I talk about Jesus and Mary and Jairus and the bleeding woman, the point is that the timing was God's. Ultimately, each was a blessing and each screamed of God's glory. Everything that happens in our life, everything that has happened to you, sir, everything that has happened to you, ma'am, the good, the bad, and the ugly Every bit of that screams of God's glory. If you read Romans eleven thirty six, I'll put it on the screen for you here. It says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory of God forever. Folks, we will not know why every tragedy happens, but we have to believe We have to know, we have to rest on the fact that God is perfect. He does not make mistakes. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures and he speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Just the fact that I showed you that newspaper article that is making all kinds of rounds now in social media. Because I've showed you that. You're seeing that, that now we have to deal with this. There are people that don't like Christians. There are people that believe that God has forgotten them. And it's not just what you hear in the closet or you hear from a friend and a, co- and a co-worker. This is mainstream, folks. We can't hide. 
is here. A world that does not believe in God. But we know that all these tragedies happen, God's will is perfect. Because tragic events remind us not only that we live in an imperfect world, in a broken world, but that there is a God who loves us and wants something better for us than this world has to offer. I am so grateful. Listen, we live in a broken world. Can we all agree with that? This world is broken. Physically, it's on its axis and it's spinning. But morally, it's out of control. There's three functions of tragedy I want to share with you. Number one, when tragedy strikes, it leads us to search for God. We might not understand why. We might not even understand who. But everybody is asking, where is God in this? And to the believer, they find strength. And to the non-believer, they find fear, malice, anger. Second thing, tragedy strengthens our faith. And the third thing is, it increases our desire to be with him in heaven. Listen, I'll go ahead and tell you, the crazier this world gets, the more I'm grateful I've got something better waiting on me. Last but not least, you would say, okay, I thought this was a Christmas message. Here it comes, folks. Merry Christmas. God sent a rescuer. This world is off the rails. I'll go ahead and tell you that. But you know what? When Jesus came to the earth in the form of a baby, it was just as broken. There were people that were addicted to drugs. There was crime. There was murder. There were killings. There were wars. There were all of these things. The world has not changed. It's broken. It's sinful. But yet we see here that our rescuer is Jesus Christ. Look at Isaiah 9.6. It's a very popular passage. You could probably pretty much... Say it with me without even looking at it. But in this broken world, God sent a rescuer in the form of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Number one, it was foretold. It was foretold. It says in Isaiah 9, 6, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. Just a side note, not the other way around. It's not the other way around. It says that the government will be on his shoulders, not that his shoulders will be on the government. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Without Jesus Christ, there is no hope of peace, no hope. Of reconciliation. It was foretold that he would come. The second thing we see that it was proclaimed. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here is our rescuer. I've experienced before that that look on somebody when, when their world is falling apart. Whether it be a health 
a problem or a wreck or a fire or whatever it may be. And you're the first one there. And all of a sudden, you pull on scene and their craziness goes to calm. Because the rescuer is there. Folks, our world is crazy, but Jesus is here. He is our rescuer. It was proclaimed, and then also it was confirmed. In Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place when Quirinus was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, the city of David. We're studying in our young adults class right, right now this morning in our Bible study. David just became king of not only Judea, but Israel as well. Is it not neat to know that that ties into this scripture right here? Because Joseph was of the house and the family line of David to be registered along with Mary who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave a birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for him at the lodging place. We see here that it was confirmed that he was the Messiah. The whole reason that Joseph went back to Bethlehem to register was because that put Jesus not only physically in the family line of Jesus, that not only put Jesus in the the legitimately in the family line of David, it goes on record. There is a record somewhere, if it's still around, of that census showing that Jesus was born was a, born of Mary, but also was an exact member of the line of David. You realize that there were 354 Prophecies fulfilled about Jesus Christ from the Old Testament and the New Testament. One or two, you're lucky. Three or four, it's amazing. 354, there's got to be a God. There's got to be a plan. And the thing I love about this is that Jesus wasn't the Messiah that everyone expected. He wasn't a warrior. He wasn't a powerful politician. He wasn't a war hero. He had no great wealth, and he was not royalty. Folks, when I think of God coming to this world, this world in the form of a baby, I think, how amazing is that? When I think about the fact in the Old Testament, we had to take our sins to a priest who had to atone for our sins for us, we could not see God and live. Even the people in the Old Testament, they could, they could not see God directly and live. They would die. Even Moses at the burning bush, he saw God in a bush, but he didn't see God because of his holiness. And yet God packaged all of that holiness and had spent the entire Old Testament saying, you worship me. But there is no connection. You worship me, but you worship me through other people. And he says, no, that's not enough. Let me come to you. 
How humbling must that have been for Jesus? How cute and disarming. The same God that would melt somebody if they were in his presence is now held by Mary in the form of a baby. Russ Ramsey wrote a book called Behold the Lamb of God, and he writes, Who is this king that lets people come close? Who is this king that lets people hold him? Who is this king who leaves the perfection of heaven and enters the darkness of the earth? I'll put it this way. You talk about a Christmas message. God is our rescuer. And because of Jesus Christ, we can approach God. God came as a helpless child, born into a dirty, messy stable in a world that was broken by sin. Folks, tragedy and brokenness, brokenness, they are the very vehicles that drive us to God. Think about your life and your times of adversity. You can either run from God or you can run to God. These tragedies are meant to show us that we are not in control. Our theories, our laws, our doctrines, all of these things, God laughs at. Because He is God and we are to depend upon Him. There is no super weapon that is going to fix all this. There is no army. I think of the Old Testament where it says that uh, some trust in chariots... But I trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in chariots and horses, but I trust in the name of the Lord our God. There is nothing, no political peace treaty, no summit, no group, no president, no world leader that is going to trump the hand of God. And if they are wise, they will grab hold of that hand rather than smack it away. God came to the rescue of our broken lives and our broken world if we simply acknowledge Him and accept Him. God calls you to draw near to Him today, this very morning. Folks, He is our hope for all generations. So God comes to your rescue today. When you turn on the TV and the next shooting happens, God has come to our rescue. When you see tragedy in your own life, when you get that news from the doctor, you get that phone call from somebody that rocks your world, and you get called into the office and they say, we've got a problem. When you have those moments, God has come to your rescue. He is fully God, but He is fully man. God is approachable, just like a baby. And he is personal. He has a plan for your life. God is your rescuer. Let him rescue you today. Let's pray.